Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Oddy. This week, we continue our series on the Gospel of John. Enjoy. John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Okay, we talked a little bit uh, last time about, uh, about this designation called the, the Lamb of God. And, and one of the things that, that uh, we, we mentioned was, was that in the Old Testament, remember that this ritual called the scapegoat, where they would take the, the goat and the goat on the Day of Atonement would be kind of the, sim, the symbolic carrier of people's sin. And so the, the idea was that they would symbolically put the sins of the people onto the goat, then they would, would, uh, would beat the goat in some way, and then drive the goat out into the wilderness as a way of, of driving, that, uh, driving the sin away from the people. Bob made an interesting uh, comment to me after class about that, that Jesus said, can you say that again? Yeah. Jesus was actually three different lambs all at the same time. Jesus was three different lambs all at the same time. He was the Passover lamb so that the wrath of God would pass over his people. He was the scapegoat. The scapegoat. Was driven. Jesus was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem. Yes. And he was the lamb who was slain on the altar. So he was all three. And the beauty of that, again, is that you can see the connectivity between the Old Testament and the New Testament and the way in which God's plan was that Jesus would be all of that for us. Thank you so much for that insight. I actually was thinking about taking credit for that insight, but then I realized that you're here and I would have been terrible. It would have been a terrible moment for me to do that and I would have goofed it up anyway. So anyway. Well, the, the credit does, which is even worse because it makes it sound like I didn't read my Bible. So that's like... Oh my gosh, yeah, I better go do penance or something. But anyway, thank you so much for that. Bob really has got some great insight into uh, some, of these, some of these really great connections and, and detail kinds of things. So thank you. Uh, thank you for that. Susan, is, is Bob like this all the time at home? Is he just so filled with insight that you just kind of want to sit at his feet and just absorb everything he has to say? Do what now? You're trying to get me in trouble. Yeah, I am trying. I'm I am trying to do that. Thank you for noticing that. That's excellent. All right. So anyway, you sort of get the sense of this, that you know, when John says, behold the Lamb of God, there's way more there, isn't there? It's not just, oh, this is my cousin and you should listen to him, right? This is, this is something that John, by the, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was able to identify. So what happens is uh, John, who 
had been baptizing, we remember, he is sort of accumulating followers himself. And that was very common in those days that whoever baptized you, well, then you would become their disciple, so to speak. So what's happening is, is, is again, he's walking uh, maybe past Jesus, says, behold, the Lamb of God. And two of the disciples that John had baptized now kind of do an about face and they begin to follow uh, Jesus. And so he sees that and his first question to them, and we talked about this quite a bit last week, was what are you seeking? It's important for Jesus to ask that question. It's also important for us to ask that question as well. Because the answer to that question then becomes the starting point in terms of where you are with Jesus. So even if the starting point of where you are with Jesus is totally wrong, where what you're seeking in a church or what you're seeking in a relationship with Jesus or what you're seeking in terms of your spirituality, let's say it's way off base. The beauty of it is, is that Jesus takes us where we are. It's just that he doesn't leave us there. And that's the wonderful thing about the way Jesus works, is that he takes you where you are. He may take you as an infant who doesn't know anything. He may take you as an adult. He may take you as, a, as an unbeliever. He may take you as somebody who is so skeptical that there's no way that... Uh, that you by yourself are going to be able to, to even uh, fathom something as mysterious as faith. Jesus doesn't care. He says, I take you where you are, and then I'm going to take you to some places where you never imagined in your world that you could go. So then what happens is, is they ask him, well, where are you staying? I mean, they kind of want to know, maybe a little practical question there. And then Jesus gives them this great answer, come and you will see. So what we start to see already in Jesus is a bit of a pattern. And the pattern is, is that when someone asks him a question, he will very often respond with a question. And then out of that question will come an opportunity to come and experience whatever it is that is happening, a come and see sort of idea. And what I like about that is it's not coercive. There's no guilt there. There's no, well, you better come and see. You know, there's none of that. What, what Jesus does is it's a pure invitation to gather together, to sit down, and to talk through something. You know, we talked last week about... Uh, this survey that was done in the LCMS with uh, millennial-aged people, and it probably would not only apply to millennial age, but maybe all ages of people in terms of the, the looking at the question of what is it that helps people uh, stay within the fellowship of the church, and then what is it that seems to be, to be a deterrent from them doing that? Do you remember what the number one reason people gave for leaving, at least in terms of LCMS and not wanting to be LCMS anymore? Do you remember what it was? They're not willing to engage in, Pardon? Engaging in discussion about... That's correct. Is that the hard topics of life, which people are being today confronted with in a very, a very profound way. You know, maybe it used to be that we all had those questions, but we kind of whisper them and we don't say much about them. Well, in, now, nowadays, it's like out there. It's everything's coming at us all in, in uh, many ways. And, and so the, the struggle in many 
churches and maybe in some sense denominations beyond Lutheran is that who is it that's going to sit down and talk that through? See, who is it that's going to be that person or that group of people that would welcome that, particularly given the fact that a lot of those hard topics really are kind of hard, right? They're hard to deal with. They, they seem to sort of uh, pit compassion for people up against biblical integrity. And that's a tough, that's a hard, that's a hard situation to be in. When, because sometimes the Bible says things about life that's hard to hear. And so how do we engage in that and how do we be, uh, be a part of that for people particular younger people. Well, what Jesus does is he, you know, again, we could say, well, he's God. He knows everything. Okay. You could say that. But at the same time, it's the idea that God, that Jesus would put people first in some sense by saying, yes, here is your starting place with me. But as we engage in this relationship and part of that relationship is to talk about hard things that maybe we can get to a different place. Did everybody that Jesus encountered at the end of the day get it? No, not everybody did, okay? But that didn't stop Jesus from engaging. See, that didn't stop him from from investing himself in people. And so that's a little bit of kind of, I think, a good pattern for us as well is that the idea is to invest. The idea is to, to be engaged. The idea is to take an interest, but maybe not get so wrapped up in what we think the outcome of that ought to be. That somehow that person ought to come to a certain place where, okay, you now accept all things, you know, or you now agree with me in all these things. See, sometimes we get too tied up in that. No, what Jesus just simply says is come and see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day The Bible doesn't say this, but presumably there was a lot of conversation going on during that time. And so then what we're told is that one of the ones who had been baptized by John, who had been one of John's followers, was a man by the name of Andrew, who was the brother of Simon Peter. And so what is it that he does? He goes and finds. Now, it's interesting, this word found is used multiple times in our readings for today. What find means is that there is some intentionality about going to look for as opposed to stumbling across. And so the sense that we get here is that that Andrew saw in Jesus something so profound, something so powerful, uh, maybe in some sense life-changing, that he could not wait to go and find his brother. So that tells us a little bit about Andrew's ministry. You know, when you look at the, uh, the list of disciples, the, the apostles, uh, Andrew is mentioned, but there's not a whole lot that's known about him. And in fact, what we see is that eventually Peter kind of becomes the, the leader, if you will. He kind of the big brother, sort of, oh, sure, big brother coming in, taking over, right? right? I mean, but that was probably his personality. And Andrew was a little bit more in terms of the background kind of, uh, kind of guy. So I listed some of the things here, though, that Andrew is uh, remembered for. Of course, going to get Peter, that's, that's the one we're looking at. But remember when... Uh, when uh, Jesus was uh, 
was challenging the disciples that had this great big mass of people who were hungry and they were out sort of away from a town. And, uh, and the, the disciples came in a very practical way and said, boy, you better send the people off, you know, because they're getting kind of hungry and there's no food truck out here. So what are we going to do? And, and so then Jesus says, you feed them. And then they go into their math minds and they say, well, you know, gosh, it's going to take a lot for to pee. We have 5,000 people here. What are we supposed to do? And then that's when Andrew does what? He finds the little boy with the fish and the bread and he does what? He finds and does what? Brings that little boy. There's a finding and a bringing that we see that pattern in, uh, in Andrew. Um, also, he was responsible for bringing some Greeks to Jesus as well. So he was not only uh, oriented to people that he knew, but he's also bringing those foreigners to, uh, to Jesus as well, right? So we see in that uh, a, a finding and bringing spirit in Andrew. And for him, it didn't make any difference what the person's background was. It didn't make any difference whether that, that he thought that person would be receptive or not. His deal was he's been, he's been moved by Jesus. And taking that being moved by Jesus, he wants to bring others to Jesus. Does that resonate with, uh, with you here this morning? I hope it does because it's really a fantastic aspect of uh, of this. So he goes to Peter and he says, we have found the Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed one. And so in the Old Testament, and then in particular uh, in Jesus's day as well, that often the way that a king would be designated, even if the king was, uh, was a little boy who would grow up to be king, the prophet would come and anoint that person as a king. Can you think of an example of that from the Old Testament? David, yeah, remember he was he was uh, he was also uh, anointed. So, yeah. So does that mean that there were other people called Messiah? Because there are other people that were anointed to be king, right? They call them Messiah. No, no, no. That's not what I mean. Um, Messiah and Christ, okay, were synonymous with each other, okay? And so what was associated with that was the king of the Jews, so to speak, or the, the, uh, the savior of the world. So it was a salvation aspect. But in the Old Testament, in order for somebody to become king of the Jews, he had to be anointed, okay? The, the tricky thing here was, was that... Andrew and, and John and, and Peter, they all had been raised with this sort of political idea of what the king would be, of what the Christ would be. The Christ would come in, he'd be a king, he'd be a Messiah, he would uh, save us not from our sin, but save us from the Romans. And so they, that's their starting point. That's the place where they, they believe the Messiah is about. And so that's why that's the link here. We have found the Messiah, not just uh, maybe some of these pretenders that are out there. Because I always thought Messiah meant uh, the one who's yet to come who will save us or something like that. He will save us from their sin. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's a it's a it's a nuanced uh, uh, part of that of that definition. So what what uh, what what happens is Peter comes to Jesus, and Jesus correctly identifies him as Simon, son of John. But now he does what? He renames him. He gives him a new name, 
And by doing that, there's some little insight in terms of the meaning of that. So some notes there for you. In the Old Testament, when a leader was called to a new relationship with Yahweh, that's with God, he was given a new name. The example is Jacob became Israel in uh, Genesis 32, and Abram became Abraham in Genesis 17. And so the, su- the suggestion there is, is that with the new name came what? A new identity, a new purpose, a new, uh, a new life, a new sense of priority and purpose and meaning in terms of that uh, person's life. And so we get the sense here that uh, almost from day one, Peter, in his journey with Jesus, is going to take him and shape him into the disciple that, that uh, Jesus wanted him to be, because Jesus would have been looking ahead to three, you know, three years from there when, uh, when Jesus would no longer be walking the earth. Who's going to lead the effort, so to speak, to, uh, to share the gospel with the world? It would be the disciples. Yeah, Mark. But renaming was not always the case, was it? Because like, for instance, Moses had a new purpose, but he was not renamed. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and even with Moses having grown up in Pharaoh's household, right? And would have, there probably was a name that might've been given to him by his, uh, so yeah, well, by his uh, surrogate father who would have been the Pharaoh, you know? So naming was a big deal in, uh, in those days. And often names meant something. How many of you have a name that means something? Like you could look it up somewhere and it would mean something. Yeah. Yeah. See, so that, so some of us, some of us, our parents had that little book, you know, that had all the names in it and they just went through they said, Oh, Jim, that's a great name right there. That's awesome. They named a Bible after that, by the way, it's just so you want to know. All right. All right. So there is something here in the name. All right. And it shows up more actually in the Greek and the Latin than it does in the, uh, in the English, if you will. If you look at point D, the word Peter means stone. And the masculine for that is Petros. But when you look at the the definition of Petros in the Greek, you discover that it means a pebble. So you ever seen like a piece of pea gravel or a little pebble like that? Okay, that's what Petros is. So you can maybe see why Peter wanted to be called something different, right? Uh, It could be, right, you pebble. All right, now here's the interesting thing about it. The feminine, so in Greek there's, and Latin has this too, there's, there's uh, feminine and masculine uh, words. And the feminine, which is Petra, means a massive mountain of rock. So let's see, shall we infer anything from that? I don't hear it. Oh, wait a minute. I heard some mumbling over here. No, 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 no. If you're going to mumble in here and I respect your decision because I sort of heard what you said and I, and I like you too much to expose this, but it was pretty funny, actually, what you said. All right, all right. So here's so here's the thing. All right. So we go back to Matthew sixteen eighteen. Remember what Matthew sixteen eighteen says? All right, Matthew sixteen. I didn't I didn't put it in here except the, that one verse. All right. So there was this one time when when uh, Jesus went to the disciples and said, "Who who do people say that the Son of Man is?" 
And, you know, they gave the opinion. Some say Elijah, some say, you know, you're John the Baptist back to life, that sort of thing. All right. And then Jesus says, now, who do you say I am? And then Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, et cetera, et cetera. So then Jesus says to Peter at that moment, you are right. You didn't come up with this yourself. The Holy Spirit is the one that moved you to say that. And then he said the verse on this rock, I will build my church. Now, the reason why it's kind of significant to bring that up is because this is the verse that the Catholic church uses to support the idea that Peter was the first pope, in, in a sense, and that on Peter, then, the primacy of the pope, that it, the church is then built in terms of what's called papal succession. That, that's, that this is the verse that they use, okay? The problem with that is, is that in the Greek it says, on this Petra, I will build my church. He doesn't use the word Petros, which was... Peter's name and meant the pebble. So what Lutherans have done with this, see, is that we look at that and we say, no, it's a, the church is not built on a person. The, the church is not built on a, a primal uh, sort of entity or institution. The church is built on the confession that Peter gave, which was, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Okay. So, you know, we look at it today and we think, oh, that's just kind of playing with words. But actually this is one of the major uh, division points between Catholicism. And I suspect all of the Protestant churches, but for sure in terms of where Lutherans are coming from. Any thoughts about that? Okay. Any thoughts about that? So it's not again that we don't, we don't walk around and disparage the Pope in some sense, but we certainly don't hold to the idea of papal succession as being part of, uh, certainly part of our belief. All right, so let's go to the next, uh, next verses, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Daniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, what? Come and see. All right, great, great deal. All right, so now we have someone now else who is going to go out. Jesus goes out and he's intentionally looking. Again, that word found has some intentionality to it. And he goes about his ministry specifically looking for the person that he wanted to have serve as his uh, disciple, as his apostle, right? And so again, it's not, oh, I happened to run into him, right? It isn't, oh, I stumbled across him. It isn't that I had this job description in mind and I deliberately picked the person that I thought would be that. No, he, he, Jesus was very intentional about who he was looking for. So he calls Philip and then what does Philip do? Philip goes again and finds his friend Nathaniel. This says a lot about the role and the importance of family and friends when it comes to being part of a faith or part of a fellowship or even in some sense a, a relationship with, uh, with Jesus, that family and friends are actually often key 
to uh, helping people not only come into a fellowship, but then also wanting to be a part of and continuing to be a part of that fellowship. It used to be, I think the statistics are, that it used to be that when someone, for example, would join a church, you had about six to nine months in order to help that person get involved in order to be more confident that that person would stay in that particular church. That's changed. The latest thing that I looked at, I think, is somewhere around three months. Three months. And part of it is, is because there are so many more things for people to do. Remember, it used to be that the church was the center of people's social lives. And in many communities, maybe it still is. But nowadays, there are so many other things that compete for that time and that, uh, those resources that, uh, you know, you can get involved in a million things and it wouldn't have anything to, do, anything to do with what happens on Sunday. So the national statistic, though, is still that the way people come into a fellowship or they come into a church and stay through, is through family and friends, and that's 70% of the time. So just a quick little survey here. How many of you are in Messiah Lutheran Church, as as an example, either as a result of family and friends or that that was a pretty uh, major contributing factor for family and friends? How many of you are? Okay, so it's kind of a mixed bag. What are some of the others of you that did not come in through uh, the influence of family and friends? How did you come in and then then what's keeping you here? Hmm? Yeah. I grew up in large churches, um, and so when I found Messiah, I mean, I just honestly felt the Holy Spirit right away. I yeah. felt the Spirit of the place, and I was just by myself, really. Yeah. Um, uh, and how I get involved, I've always been involved in my church, wherever I am. But, uh, yeah, it was just on my own, me and the Spirit. Yeah. Well, for sure, if you're a PK... You know, it's pretty well given that you would, but but, it, but not everybody's a PK here. So. And church family to me, no matter where I am, we've moved around. Mm-hmm. It's so important to get involved with yeah. my church family. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. What are your thoughts on when a new member comes in and it's whether you get them involved immediately in organizations or leave them alone? Because I, I have my own opinion about that, but some say... If you try to get them, push them into something, they don't want to. Mm-hmm. They want to just come and stay, stay mm-hmm. or maybe you don't want to get involved forever. But they will, they will leave if you push them. Others would say get them involved because that's how they get to know people and they will stay, which is my opinion. Mm-hmm. But then there's different thoughts on that. Yeah. So uh, uh, what are you asking me for? Do <laughs> you want my opinion on that? As long as you don't want an answer on that, I can give you my opinion on that. I mean, that, it is kind of a hard thing today because some people are really like super sensitive to the idea that, oh, here they just want me to do this. You know, I mean, sometimes it kind of comes off as the reason why we want you here is because we have all these vacancies on the church board and we feel better if we didn't have the vacancy. I mean, some, sometimes it, that it feels that way. So that's more of a style of the way it's being done. But I still think I'm kind of old school. I still kind of feel like that, that uh, part of the retention of people is to be involved in something meaningful and purposeful 
and and why not make that the church? You you can get that at the Rotary, and you can get that in the Elks and all these other groups that are involved in the community. Um, but those aren't necessarily spiritually driven. There are spiritual people there, but not necessarily from a, a, a scriptural perspective, as we are in the church. So, so I, it can kind of go both ways. But there are some people that when they join, particularly want to be part of a large church, they're looking for anonymity. Okay. And this is really true. I think for people who came out of a smaller church where everybody knew each other and everybody knew everything about everybody. And, and maybe that wasn't the best experience. Maybe there was some wounding that went on. Maybe there was some, some uh, painful things that happened and what they need is a place to land. So sometimes what happens is people come to a place like Messiah and the intention is to be anonymous. And you can do that here because there's just a lot of people here. Plus there's like two services. And so if you're at the one service, every, you're not there. Everybody assumes you're at the other one. It's the perfect, it's the perfect cover. Yeah, once a month. But that's not yet. That's not yet. Now, when that becomes something where it's regular, like when, when, when we get the new uh, building built, that'll be in, in there on a regular basis. So then we'll have three ways to hide. It'll just be marvelous. It'll be wonderful. Okay. But again, you know, I'm, I'm a little tongue in cheek here, but, but again, sometimes people's experience in a church isn't as positive as we would like for it to be, or as it might be for a number of people. So if that's the case, is there still a place for that person to just go and hear the word and be fed by the word and not necessarily burdened by, oh, you have to get involved in this and you have to get involved in that. And I think that for a lot of people coming out of smaller churches, sometimes that is one of the things that appeals. But the flip side of it is, is that with anonymity, can come the possibility that your involvement is very uh, peripheral. It's very, it's very surfacy. Not that your spirituality is, it's just your involvement is. Okay, so this has generated a few hands. So I'll start on this side and sweep to that side. Yes, Brenda. Well, when Bill and I got married, all of, I, everyone here knows, I chose not to change my name. Uh-huh. When we came down here and we had Karen, mm-hmm. and we were looking for a church, because he came from a mixed Catholic Methodist background, and I came from a non-denominational background. Okay. We were looking for a church we could be together. Yes. All right. What got us here was the fact that pastor came to see us, and he didn't care that he, our name wasn't. The oh, same. he didn't care that you hadn't changed your name. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. That really was it. So. No <laughs> judgment. Just out of curiosity, was there other churches that made a big deal about that? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. So that was the difference for you. Oh, yes. Awesome. Awesome. For years, I came, I, years I carried my marriage license in my purse because... <laughs> to prove? I could prove yeah. we were married. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was a good move. I mean, you know, to some degree that given the sort of traditional nature of society and and maybe even there might be a little bit of that today people like questioning that are like oh what is that yeah okay excellent all right let's see i'm moving this way i'm going to avoid philip no no i won't do that okay philip what's what's what 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 well i mean what what originally brought me to messiah and uh, don't let this fire you too much but like it was because you were 
a pastor here. Yeah. I didn't know where else. Yeah, to say that even more, Philip. Say that. But my, that, that's what originally brought me to Messiah. Yeah. And it, it was close by mm-hmm. uh, college, UT Dallas. Yeah. And I figured, why not? Let's just go. Or I'll just go. Yeah. And um, even then, I was going just sparingly, not not that much. Where it re- where I really started to come regularly was when uh, Matt Lee called me one day out of the blue and said, hey, would you like to learn how to operate the soundboard? We need some more help there. And, I, and at the, he didn't know at the time. It was just very serendipitous. But... I was still like doing audio work on my own side, like right. I was doing podcast stuff and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, sure, I'd love to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's what helps bring me in on like a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. And some way, now looking back on it, it was just some way to help me uh, find a better use for my talents yep. and, and transform that in, in a way to serve the church in some form. Right. And, that, and over the years, that's just grown Mm-hmm. More and more with my interactions with you and yep. other people, uh, with the with the AMA group that we have next door, like that's something that's kind of like built off of it, mm-hmm. sort of in a way. I don't want to credit that, but, but I mean, even this podcast that we're doing right now is mm-hmm. it like it's just all kind of stemmed from that one call out of the blue from yep. from Matt. Well, and so now you can never leave, Philip. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but but that's the other piece to it, I think, is the link between somebody getting involved in something that is already something that they are good, you're, you're good at it, but it's also just that your interest is in that and the ability to link those two. It, sometimes in smaller churches, there's not the ability to do that. You know, how do you link technology guys to technology if your church doesn't believe in technology? So there's a little bit of that. You know, there's sometimes just the opportunity is afforded in a larger, wider setting than it would be necessarily someplace else. Yeah. And you were talking about anonymity and whatnot and just being a spectator within yeah. the church. I mean, but also I, th- I think some people may want to serve, but they just don't know how they can use their talents to right. serve. And, and that's just part I, I've seen a little bit is that like we, in, in terms of not bringing up a discussion of some sort, there's not, I don't think there may be too much exploratory discussion of, okay, what are your talents? What, what would you like think, want to think about contributing? How may we as a church be able to use those talents? Yeah, we do the, you know, we do the time and talent thing that we do every year. And I know that in particular, when new members come into the church, they, there's an orientation sort of meeting in which they have the opportunity to fill those out. And of course, the deal is if you don't fill anything out, Pastor Coleman will fill it out for you. So, so, but you know, I mean, actually that's, it's kind of funny that he does that, but it's actually pretty good too, because it's just the idea that it sends that message, doesn't it? There's a strong message here that says we really value you. And no matter what your starting point is, and maybe your starting point is you think, oh, I can't do anything because, you know, God made a mistake when he made me, you know, that even if that's your attitude or your perspective, I guarantee you after a year here, you're not probably going to, that will be tested. Maybe it won't change completely, but that's going to be challenged and tested in, in some way. And I, th- I think that's gold. I think that's, that's spectacular. Yeah, sure. So about this last week that I think that's something that's really good here is that when you do join and they say, well, he's going to serve on this or. Right. Oh, in front, like in front of the church. Yeah, yeah. in front of the church. But I think that really helps people 
get involved is that you know because you you got to kind of got to sign up and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah no pressure there pastor said you're uh, you're going to be serving in the evangelism ministry of our church and we'll bring in a hundred new people you know it's, it's it's like that it helps if you're now you're you've said okay i'll serve on the welcome committee and then someone calls you and says okay you're on this team and you you know i think it helps mm -hmm. pull you in especially when you don't you're new and you don't really know anybody yeah you know? yeah and so that helps those service opportunities are another way to get to know people and then to get engaged. Yes, ma'am. I think that when people go to visit churches, they're looking to have a need filled. I do. Whether that need be them for themselves or for their children. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some need that they're searching to be filled. Right. Some people's need might be a need for anonymity. So. I think our church should offer that. Mm -hmm. I think other people have a need to want to be plugged in or have a connectivity or be wanted and used, you know, used in a positive way. And then I think some people are looking for their kids. Yeah. I mean, that's a big, it's a big, it's a big deal. Yeah. Is that my kids are welcomed mm -hmm. and connected sure. and that kind of thing. So I, I don't think there's a yes or no to your question. I think some people's need is to be wanted and plugged in, and other people's need is to stay superficial. So yeah. I think as a church, we need to offer both. Of so them. we should put superficial anonymity on the uh, time and talent uh, sheet. Okay, that's excellent. Yes. Who, who in the church do we bring that attention? We have, we have the high, we have the secretary of the church. Perhaps you could like mention that to Pastor Coleman. I'm not going to say that to him, but I think from your voice would be way better than my voice on that. Yes. Yeah. That, and we have a few elders in here. Perhaps that would come up in an elders meeting too. And change over the years what your needs are changed, sure. you know? Yeah. So, yeah, the, uh, the, the thing that we always hope is that when people come into a congregation and then become a part of that, looking for something for their children, is that they will stay long after their children have gone off. And that's kind of where that, that initial need, that starting point need, what we would like to see is that would also evolve, that that would also mature so that it's not just simply, I'm looking for the best deal for my kids and then sometimes what happens is if that deal isn't the best deal, but the church across town is because they've got a bigger facility or a bigger staff or something like that, then that's where we're going to go. And unfortunately today, there is also that element as well. So, you know, needs uh, is always kind of one of those fluctuating things. We certainly want to be attentive to felt needs, but at the same time, we're looking for transformative experience. We're looking for ways that when you encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ, just in the same way that these people in John got, uh, it, it were encountering Jesus and were be invited to come and see, that that starting place where they were is not where they ended up. And so that tells us in it just a three-year gig with Jesus that the, the, the world changed as a result of the change that had occurred in them. So we like the idea of felt needs, but we certainly are looking at a deeper sort of thing. But there's no question, some people come in looking for, I just need a place to land, I need a place to rest, and I need a place to recover or recoup. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. Yes. Keep or keep moving this direction. Yes, Richard. Something that strikes me about, I'll say, getting involved in a church mm -hmm. is that it's kind of like developing friendships. Okay. Okay. As a teacher, I had to learn like 145 names in a week. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's very forced. That's forced. Yeah, you have to do it. You yeah. have to do it as mm -hmm. part of the job. Uh, and I did that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the interesting thing is that I generally have a pretty good memory of people's names after I've met them like four times. I can usually recall. Oh, them. that's really good. Okay. Kathy will never recall her name. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> but she will recall she will recall their life history. Oh, okay. And I think that in getting people involved in the church is a is like making a friendship mm -hmm. and it takes time sure and i think sometimes we rush it yeah. or somebody says well like a lot of times people know that i was in the army so they automatically think that i need to lead everything which i have really no interest in doing at all mm -hmm. uh, but they jump to a stereotype, and we we try to force people into little molds. We can, yeah. And and that works against us as it a can. church, yeah. if you will. I think that you know when you can get to know people, mm -hmm. yeah. You know, and I think that that's you know really um, a crucial step in getting people engaged and involved is. Let them establish their sure. friendships. What I've noticed is that this is one of the reasons why people sit in the same pew every Sunday. <laughs> because that's like your little small group right there, you know. And I don't, I don't know what to make of people that move around. I just I have no use for that. It's just... <laughs> Because then I think you're not there. I mean, that's the problem with that. You know, good thing we, if you're going to move around, make sure that you sign one of the little cards so that we actually know you're there. That would be really great if you did that. All right. But again, it's just, it's kind of that idea of that in a fractured world, I mean, as, as connected as people are today with technology, there are more lonely, fractured people today maybe than there ever was before. And so there is some sense here of how do you connect and how do you do it in a meaningful way. And again, family and friends is, a, is one of the ways that it can be done. And so the upside of family and friends is that, 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 that if you are the friend of somebody and you do the come and see well, then you're, you're going you're gonna to be involved in that with that person. Come and see, and, and let's walk together, and we'll talk through it, and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, do this in a, in a way where I'm not just going to have come and see, and then I abandon you, and, I, and, and then you're left to figure this out on your own. The downside of family and friends is that sometimes in the, in the worship setting in particular, and then also the interaction that goes on between services or before service or after service is that if you have your friends, sometimes people will only talk to their friends. Have you ever experienced that before? This happens a lot in smaller churches because everybody does know each other and they're a little shy with the stranger or the person that walks in that isn't related to anybody. And so we all sort of gravitate to the people we know, and we're so happy to see you, and it's so wonderful. How was your week? And then the person that didn't know anybody just kind of walks out the door. Now, here's the thing about Messiah that I have not seen this anywhere else. There is no way anybody gets out the door without somebody talking to them. 
And it's not just one person, it's like six people. And maybe even those people would come, would say, hey, Pastor Audi, hey, I want you to meet somebody new. Now, for me as a turtle introvert, <laughs> it took me about five years to get used to that. Because it's just not, I just didn't have the great comfort level with that I do now. You all have taught me how to be okay with that. Now, I still can't remember people's names. So that's the, that's the downside of that. So if, for example, I don't know you that well, and you come up to me and you're not wearing your name tag. Let's see, how many times do I have to mention that one? If I don't know you that well, I probably am not going to say your name. I'll probably just go, mm, good morning, something like that. And then it'll hopefully come out right. Okay? So there, that's the downside of being in a large church is that after a while, maybe I recognize everybody's face, but I don't necessarily uh, put the name and the face together. If, am I the only one that has that issue or do we have, oh, thank you so much. I feel like I'm in the right group. Okay. Yeah. Pull out the pictorial directory. I can see me doing it at the back of the church <laughs> or even worse at communion. <laughs> Excuse me, but I gotta, I gotta look to see, or maybe pull out my phone and have facial recognition, you know, and then I would be able to tell. So, so the way that I describe it is, is that basically I am a small church pastor. So I describe it. Okay. Okay. Okay, Max. I'm, uh, what was your name again? I forgot. Yeah. But I'm a small, I'm a small church pastor. I, even though I was raised in large churches, i for 20 years, I was in small churches. And so my, so my, the way I describe it is I, my capacity for knowing the person and the name and putting the two together accurately is 300. So how many people do we have in our church? 2,500. Okay. So what that means is, is that my 300 is like this. So when I meet a new person on the front end, What's going to happen to somebody on the back end? <laughs> it's just so, please wear your name tag. And if you don't care that I just look at you and smile and just kind of say, mm, 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 then that's, then please forgive me for that. Yeah, Tom. Knew what Roosevelt did. What Roosevelt did? Yeah. If he didn't know the name of somebody, he would greet them and say, I'm sorry, but your name escapes me. They would say Smith. Oh, I, knew, I remember your last name. It's your first name. <laughs> that is a great little tip right there. I'm going to try that next communion. That'll be excellent. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. I like that. Yeah, Marty. That's what I was going to ask you to share as well as this, different faces you can use because I shared at the Comfort Dog meeting that we had tried out with a, a social thing with us for our granddaughter, and somebody approached us that recognized Triton immediately. Sure, everybody knows Triton. <laughs> <laughs> and they love him, let me tell you. Yeah. You know, and it was like, uh, you know, it, obviously, you know, church member, but I was like, I do a blank. I hadn't mm -hmm. met officially this person. And yeah. it was like, how do you... What phrases can you use to say exactly like this? Yeah. How do you say, oh, oh, yes, great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and kind of what I do is just mostly say, you know, I just can't, help me again with your name. I just can't remember your name. 
Yeah, it's just, it's kind of one of those things, you know, when you're a pastor, you sort of have this unrealistic expectation that you have to know everybody's name and you have to remember it and then know their whole life story and just, it's, it's totally unrealistic. I know it is, but it's just, it's, it's, the, it's what hits me in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, Sandy. I was just going to say that when we first uh, moved here, uh, we visited several churches. Uh -huh. and you visited several churches? Yeah. And they were mostly smaller ones, and one we, we went to, no one ever said a word to us. Oh, yeah. Okay. But I want you to know when we walked in here, mm -hmm. we knew right off what we wanted. Sure. Yeah, because you would not, you could not escape here. You, If you want to be anonymous... You better walk in in the middle of the service and sit in the balcony or something. Well, don't sit in the balcony because we can all see you in the balcony. So, you know, that's, uh, that's how that is. Yeah. Okay. Any questions? Any thoughts? Questions over here? Okay. Oh. I mean, why do you have to know someone's name? Why? You're a visual learner. Why can't you say, it's so great to see you? Just really emphasize the visual. I don't know why. <laughs> well, it, it uh, you know, I know, I'm feeling like I, I probably need therapy right now is probably what I need. But I, that's why it's, it's a bit unrealistic. I'm sure it is. But there's probably also that, that I really like people. I just really do. And so I'm kind of fighting myself sometimes. I like people, but, you know, kind of a little on the shy side. So I think what it is is... With a name, there's a connection. A and I guess that's why. I, I, other than that, I don't really know. Um, but I'll uh, uh, talk it over with my counselor this week. <laughs> and maybe we can come up with a strategy for it. Yeah, Doris. See, your problem is, though, you work with somebody who does know. Yeah. Yeah. Every yeah. name of everybody in this church. He does, yeah. And he knows if you're in church or not. <laughs> Did you now? Did you hear that part? He not only knows your name, but he knows if you're here or not. Just want to sort of mention that, yeah. When I do the attendance cards on Monday, if somebody's name comes out on the four-week list, the four-week list, you don't want your name to be on that. You don't want to be on that list. That's right. People come and say, "Oh no, they were in church. I saw them. They were in church, even though they did not sign a card." And I have no way of knowing that they were That's correct. We have some people that absolutely will die before they sign one of those little cards. That is, that is like a, you know, you're breaking their commandment in some way, and they won't do it. And so we have other ways of finding out who's here. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. See, this is really good. We have an opportunity to sort of get some of these things cleaned up. So yeah, write in a legible way. That would be helpful. Okay. Because because sometimes when Doris can't read it, then the card is going to make the rounds to all the staff to see if there's somebody who can figure out who that is, and then uh, so that's that's a really great point. But again, some people are really into signing it and filling out and checking all the boxes and doing all those things, and then there's other people that put just kind of like little code words on there, and then we have to kind of figure out uh, figure out what that is. Okay, any other. Any other thoughts on this? Isn't this fun? We're having a great time talking about 
this idea, and how do we get to back to the lesson? Oh, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Victoria. Today is Pentecost. Today is Pentecost. And all of us have been talking about, oh, I just felt right when I got here. Oh, I connected with so-and-so. Yeah. And I think we need to give credit where credit is due. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit is at work in this place. Yes. yes, it is. And that's such an amazing, wonderful thing. You, you would think that because it's the same Holy Spirit, he would be in other places too. And he is, but sometimes the not so outgoing nature of people can sometimes get in the way of that, or at least the expression of it would be different. By the way, can I make that announcement that you've already made publicly? The courts are leaving us. They're uh, moving to Florida. You know, there are no friendly people in Florida. I don't know why you... Why would you go there? Our grandchildren all live in Florida, and my parents have moved to Lutheran Haven. Oh, there is a place for yes. retired pastors yes. to go, and That's... they found it. Oh, good. <laughs> That's good to know that. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes family and friends can be a little bit too tight, and you need a little distance there. So that's excellent. Well, we will miss you. I, I texted back a response on the uh, email you guys sent. I will miss our bantering. You, you have a wonderful irreverence about you <laughs> that matches my irreverence. And so I really like that a lot. And, but we have the podcast, and you can listen to that, do that. And every once in a while, we'll just throw your name out there, and we'll <laughs> say, you know, yes, Victoria. But uh, anyway, we're ble- we know you'll be a blessing wherever you go. And uh, that'll be a fantastic move for you. And now we'll say, oh, I know someone in Florida. So there we go. All right. All right. So uh, Philip goes to get Nathaniel. And what is Nathaniel's first response? Skeptic. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, what's ironic here is where's Philip from? I mean, Nathaniel. Where's Nathaniel from? Cana. Now, Cana shows up next week when we talk about the wedding at Cana. But Cana was just a little bitty village. So here we have this guy from Cana who's looking at Nazareth and saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? How many of you grew up in a town that had a rival town that you said, oh, that town is so worthless and our town is wonderful? How many of you had that? Yeah, Philip, what was the... The Lufkin Nacogdoches? Yeah, Lufkin Nacogdoches. Okay, I grew up in Fort Worth, and that's how we felt about Dallas. The Dallas-Fort Worth, remember, the, those of you that are more native to the area will know, there was this huge, big rivalry. Part of it was fueled by Eamon Carter versus, versus the Hunt family. So you had oil and gas versus cattle, right? And so that, that permeated so much of what we were raised with, those of us that uh, lived over there. And so we would say, oh, Dallas, can anything good come out of Dallas? Well, and then the people from Dallas would say, we don't even know that Fort Worth exists. So that was, you know, <laughs> except when the wind blew a certain direction. That was, that was the, what, what we always heard about. So notice what it, Philip's response to Nathaniel. He, he's, Philip is so excited. Oh, oh, come and see, come and see. We found the one. We found the one. And then Nathaniel just shuts it down by saying, huh, can anything good come out of, you know, he's a, he's a negative skeptic. What's Philip do? He says, what? Come and see. See, he, he's undeterred. 
He's undeterred. He knows that in the same way that he had his own starting point with Jesus, so is Nathaniel. And I think there's such powerful, a powerful message for us that everybody has their own starting point. And it's not our job to out-argue that person into the church or out-argue that person into a faith life or a, a walk with Jesus or whatever it is. It's just simply the invitation, come and see. And then sick Jesus on him in that good way. And what happens is Jesus says, oh, I'm way better at this than you are. I'm going to take that person where he or she is, and it's going to be transformative. We have no indication in the scriptures that any of the personalities of any of the disciples ever changed. So the transformative aspect of what Jesus does in your life, there's no hope for your personality. It will always be what it is. (laughs) Who cares? Who cares? Jesus takes it and uses it in a powerful way. Okay, we're going to stop here and we're going to uh, close with prayer, and then we'll pick it up next week. Is that okay if we do that? All right. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the way that your word speaks to us. Thank you for the way that your word speaks to us and then challenges us. It transforms us. Uh, We are so grateful for that, and we look forward to the different ways that uh, we can be uh, uh, an instrument in your hands, not just to uh, bring, bring others in, but also to be a part of the transform uh, life that they experience. Thinking about transforms lives, uh, transformed lives uh, today, Lord, as we have 23 young people who are going to be confessing publicly the faith into which they were baptized coming off of confirmation camp this past week. We pray that you'll uh, bless them and their families today on this exciting day. And then we also pray that in the days to come, you would also uh, be transforming their lives and their hearts as uh, they will be uh, uh, certainly challenged in their faith to grow and to share and to uh, bring others to know and to come and see you. So watch over us this week, dear Lord. Be with us. Be with those that are listening to our podcast this morning. And uh, we pray that the blessings of your spirit uh, will abound to all. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com, where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.